Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Mission Church, Pastor Tyler here, back again. We're in week two of a new series. As you can tell, we're not recording with anybody. We now have our new uh, lockdown, shutdown, whatever you want to call it, for a little bit. But hey, we're going to make the best of it. And if you didn't check out last week, we started a new series titled Knowing God, Knowing God. And here's the big reason why we want to do this series is some of you watching the, the sermon right now online, uh, this has been my prayer through this whole series, is at the very end of it or in the middle of it, something happens in your heart, God opens your eyes, you start to hear something that just starts to change your life. And you say, man, I want this God. I want this Savior. I'm really believing that people who never knew who God was, knew his goodness, knew his power, knew his peace, that you're going to find out how great he is. You're going to get to know God and it's going to change your life. The Bible says those who know God have an energy for God. I, I, I'll use an illustration even, uh, what I'm trying to say. Uh, when I moved to L.A., I started working at a church. And uh, uh, my first day, uh, I'm single, and everybody knows I'm single. And so they're coming up to me, Tyler, you got to meet this girl. There's this girl, you got to meet her. And if you know anything about me, that's the biggest turnoff ever. Like, I ain't never meeting this girl. They're like, she's amazing. You would love her. You guys got a date. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you are, you are digging a huge hole for this girl to climb out of because nobody manipulates my steps. I don't, like, I don't like being controlled. I'm a contrarian by heart, all those kind of things. So uh, I basically dodged this girl for the first month. No, don't even meet her. Finally, I go to a party. She's at the party. I don't even talk to her at the party. I'm like, no, nobody's telling me who I'm going to date and who I'm supposed to like. Well, I finally end up talking to this girl, and I love talking to her. I mean, I love talking to her. You know how much I love talking to her? I love talking to her so much, I decided to marry her. That's how Rachel and I met. No joke. We were, I was at, at a church, and everyone's like, you got to meet Rachel. She's amazing. You guys be perfect together. And I hated, I hated people trying to set me up. And if I'm just being honest, I think a lot of people, that's what church is like. Oh, you need to be, Jesus loves you, and you would love him too. Say yes to Jesus. And be like, don't tell me to say yes. What are, you, what are you talking about right now? But here's what I love. Invite him to a party. Invite him to church and see what happens. That's what I love about church. I think that's what church is, like coming to a party. I met Rachel at a party at the very end of the night. I started talking to her. I was like, oh my gosh, this girl's amazing. I, I think I want to marry this girl. And boom, I locked it up, put a ring on it. That says, that's what you do. Now, in this verse that we're going to look at in John 1, 35, it really is kind of that kind of vibe. It's um, if I could put it this way, the top of my message today, I'm going to call this talk, this sermon, come and see, come and see. At home right now, I, I, miss, I miss the people in the house. Just Sarah would say, come and see, come and see. Okay, here we go. John 1.35, here we go. John 1.35 says this. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. That's John the Baptist at this moment. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, this is the seeing gospel. Come on now, if we're going to be an impactful church, if you're going to be an impactful Christian, people got to see things in your life. You're going to see throughout this, it's always look, see, come and see. You're going to see that our eyes and what we see is involved in seeing the good news and the kingdom of heaven. He goes, look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Can you imagine this? John the Baptist is basically pastoring a church, if you will, and his disciples are with him, and Jesus comes, and you know what a great disciple does? Always brings attention to Jesus. And so John the Baptist says, Woo! Look, it's the Lamb. It's the promised Messiah. And his disciples were like, all right, your church is great, but I'm going to the church. And if I could be honest, man, there is nothing good when we try to possess the things of God. Oh, always be open-handed with everything you got. Everything you got be open-handed with. So it goes on to say, look, there's the Lamb of God. The disciples follow him. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said, come and see. 
You're gonna see this rhythm throughout the, the gospel of John, throughout the book of John. What I love about John, you'll see this, is that it's 90% different than the other three gospels. You're gonna see the I am statements in the gospel of John, seven I am statements. You're gonna see not just what Jesus did, but who he is, who he is. And this is, this come and see invitation really is God saying this, and this is where this title came from. Come and get to know me. Come and see where I live. And it goes on to see, let me, I'm going to double down on this in just a second. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to place where he was staying and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew Simon, Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard that John said, uh, then follow Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother. Simon told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus, looking intently at Simon. Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He uh, found Philip and said, come and follow me. Stop. There's two moments. This is, this, this, this is amazing to me. Jesus is on the scene, the Messiah, and they're going to follow him. And do you know the only thing he says to them? Come and see how I live. Come and see how I pray. Come and see how I love. Come and see how I heal people. These disciples come into Jesus, and I think sometimes because we don't know who Jesus is that well, um, if I could put it that way, uh, we would picture Jesus saying this to people. Oh, you want to be my follower? Well, I demand right now, say, I am the Christ, the Alpha and Omega. Get on your knees and declare with your mouth and tongue that I am king. He didn't do that. He said, come investigate it. Uh, come and watch me work. Come and watch me love. And when you see who I am, there's no way you're not going to be able to say yes. If I could just be honest, a lot of you watching that are kind of suspect about Christianity, you're not rejecting uh, Jesus. You're rejecting religion. I've never seen anybody uh, tell me this. Man, you know what I don't like about Christianity? Jesus is just too kind. You know what I don't like about Christianity? Man, when I encounter his presence, I just have peace. You know what I don't like about Christianity? Jesus is so loving and forgiving. He gives me chance after chance. It just drives me crazy. I never hear that. Here's what I do here. I don't like how judgmental church is. That's not Jesus. I don't like how all the rules and do this and do that. Uh, I don't like that, that, that about Jesus. That's not Jesus. That's, Christ, that's Christian religion. Oh, I, I, you know what I don't like? I don't like that I got to wear certain clothes at church. Where did, where did you see that? Jesus never said that. People never reject Jesus. They're always rejecting religion. But if you really get to know Jesus, ooh, if your eyes are really open to Jesus, man, it's really hard to reject the one that created you. He goes on to uh, show him, uh, goes on to say, Philip went to look for Nathaniel. So now you're going to see this rhythm. So these ones are now starting to see the Messiah, see the, the king, see the Savior work. And here's what happens. They're like, man, I don't want... I don't want to hog this to myself. Other people need to see this guy. Other people need to see the Savior. So Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nazareth basically was like a backwoods town. It was like where like your intermarrying is like a, hey, ding, Nazareth. Nobody, uh, nothing good comes out of Nazareth is what he's saying. And here's what Philip does. First of all, the, the prophecy said that Jesus would come out of Bethlehem and and Philip doesn't know really what to say to this question. And if I could just say this real quick to everybody, church isn't about you having all the right answers, but having the right attitude. And what I mean by that is, is Philip doesn't even get mad at Nathaniel making the question. Because you may say, hey, come and uh, meet this Jesus. What kind of God would allow bad things to happen? Because that's really what the Nathaniels of our day do. Well, what kind of God would, would, would allow this or do this or, or require this? And I love Philip's answer. I don't know. Let's come and see. And so he literally says to uh, Nathaniel, uh, come and see for yourself. There's something about a church that has a come and see culture. Come and see Jesus for yourself. Come check it out for yourself. I don't have all the answers, but man, just come check it out with me. I'll even go with you. And I love what happens here. As they approach Jesus, now here's a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. <laughs> I love that about Jesus. He, you'll see that he saw Nathaniel under the fig tree. He, he, he's omniscient. He, he's all-knowing. 
And he doesn't call out Nathaniel's worst. He calls out his best. I love that our Savior sees our worst but calls out our best. That he sees your worst moments this week, but he still calls out the best in you. You are a saint. He sees the worst in you, the worst sin in you. He still, no, you are my prince. You are my princess. You are an heir to the throne. Isn't it amazing that God sees the worst, but he still calls out the best? And I love what Jesus replied. I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. I, I try to find out what was Nathanael doing under that tree? Why did it mean so much to him that Jesus simply said, I saw you under the tree? Now, this is him saying, I am omniscient. I can see everything. And, and Nathaniel was responding going, oh my gosh, if you could see me under the tree. I, I, if I'm being honest, when we get to heaven, I'm going to ask Nathaniel, what were you doing under that tree? Why did it mean so much to you that all that Jesus said was, I saw you under the tree. And you're like, all right, because here's what his response is. Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. So this guy is literally going, what kind of person comes from Nazareth? <laughs> yeah, right, it's God. And then Jesus meets him, hey, I saw you on the tree. <laughs> oh my gosh, you're the king, you're the savior. What happened under the tree? This is my question. This is, this is what's going to happen. When I, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Nathaniel, and here's my guess. I'm going to submit my guess right now. I bet you Nathaniel maybe was having a hard day. saying, God, do you even care about me? God, do you even care about my future? Do you even care about my past? Do you even care about my promises? Sitting under the tree contemplating why he's even alive. Does God even see him? Do you know one of the core desires of every human being is simply this, to be seen and to be known? And I think that Jesus spoke right to his heart, core need, and says, I see you, Nathaniel, and I know you. Oh, if I could just say to people right now, man, you want, it? You want to have attention from some person right now, or you want to have attention from some boss, and you're just saying, why don't people see what, what I've been doing, or why don't they know how great I am? Can I just tell you real quick? God sees you, and he knows you. Oh, this is an amazing thing about our Savior. Goes on to finish this way, and this is where it gets good. We're going to finish with this in, in a little bit, too. Uh, he, uh, Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I've seen you under the fig tree? Even Jesus like, I, I only just said I saw you under a fig tree. Like, I didn't even walk on water yet. Uh, he goes and says, you will see greater things than this. If you're at home, say Greater. Man, I, we have to have a church that believes that greater things are ahead. That if you've already been impressed by what Jesus did, can I just tell you, greater things are ahead. If you're impressed with what Jesus already done in your life, oh, just get ready. Greater things are ahead in your life. He goes on to say that, that greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth, you will see heaven open and the angels of God going up down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. You'll find that in the Old Testament with Jacob also. We'll touch on that in a second. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that you are the come and see God. You are the God that says, come and get to know me. Come and see my power. Come and see my presence. Come and see my love. Come and see my mercy. Come and see my grace. So God, I pray for the ones right now watching that have grown distant. Oh, Lord, I pray they would get to know you again, and they would have an energy for you. The ones that have never heard about you, oh, that they would hear this message today, and they would give you a shot. Oh, that they would literally try this thing called Christianity and live for Jesus and follow you and just, and just investigate it, and lives would be changed. Lord, may my words fall to the floor in this sermon, and may it be all about you. Oh, may your words soar. We love you, we love you. And everybody said, amen. I got three points, and we're going to knock it out fast. The three points are simply this, is that, well, the three points are connected to come and see now. Um, I'll just read them to you. They're not, the, they're not super creative, but I, I like them. So I hope you like them too. Here we go. You need a person who is passionate about the invitation. You need that in a come and see culture. Another thing you need in a come and see culture is you need people who are willing to live life with people. So really what I'm just doing, if I'm being honest, um, <laughs> Uh, we say this in our mission track all the time. Uh, you need people to care, you need people to contribute, and you need people to invite others on the journey. Really, that's, that's a great uh, kingdom culture and uh, come and see culture. And last but not least, the third point I'm going to talk about is you need a church where people experience heaven on earth. Heaven on earth. Can I just tell you that churches that don't have a come and see culture suck? They suck. 
Churches that don't have a come and see culture suck. And here, here's what I mean by that. I, actually, I wrote down a couple, uh, couple things of what I mean. When it, goes from the inv- when it goes from invitation to condemnation, it sucks the life right out of a church. Churches suck when they lose the come and see culture. When you say, instead of having people come and see the, the presence of God, you have them come see the preference of man. Oh, when it becomes preference of man, it just sucks the presence of God out. When you have people come and for entertainment instead of the worship, oh, that we, he is worthy of our worship, that they would see humble businessmen and businesswomen, rich and poor, come to a king and say, I'm not coming here to be entertained and have them sing my song. I come here to lay down my crown at the throne of the one who is worthy, and I raise my hands. When you have a come and see culture, watch how much I love my God. Oof. But when you have a culture that is about entertainment and it's about consumerism, it sucks the power right out of the house. But when you have a come and see culture, night, night, the church is powerful. It's taken back ground. People's lives are being changed. And so the first thing we need in Mission Church, if we want to have a come and see culture, is we need people passionate about the invitation, passionate about the invitation. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. Paul actually went to the third heaven. What that really means, I do not know. There's a lot of different uh, statements by theologians. I'm not going to go there in this message, but he went to the third heaven, so he got to taste heaven a little bit. And you know what he said about uh, his own life? He says, for now that if we're in our earthly tent, he goes, basically, I'm in my earthly body. We're in the world. Um, It's going to be destroyed. We have a building from God and an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Oh, this is Paul saying, oh, I just, I long to be in heaven. But he goes on to talk about 2 Corinthians 5, but I, I long to also tell people about heaven. I love in John 17, 4, this is Jesus praying. He goes on to say, Father, I want these whom you have given to me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you have loved me even before the world began. He said, oh, God, I pray that they could come to heaven. I pray they could experience heaven. I, I, I love uh, John 1. This is John the Baptist. He's so passionate about people experiencing heaven. He says this, I am the voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way of the Lord's coming. All right, so what does it look like to be passionate about the invitation? My wife uh, loves travel. I don't love travel. Can I, can I just tell myself real quick, I'm a terrible trier. I'm a terrible trier. I'm a terrible traveler. I don't try new food. I've eaten the same breakfast for 17 years. I have a zone bar, 14 grams of protein, 210 calories, fudge gram. I order a whole 30 every month, and I eat them in the morning, or have still-cut oatmeal with blueberries, a little bit of peanut butter, sometimes not peanut butter because there's too many calories in it, and then a little bit of honey, but my uh, trainer right now said no honey because sugar is bad uh, for me. So uh, those are my two things I've had for the last 17 years. Well, Rachel, in COVID, we had to get creative because I like to eat the same thing all the time or go out to eat at the same places, and COVID hits, and my whole marriage, Rachel's been trying to cook for me. Oh, I'd love to make this. Oh, Tyler, I tried this. Oh, I made this. You should try this. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't try things. I literally eat the same thing over and over again. Well, COVID made me try some of Rachel's cooking for the first time really in my life. Can I tell you something real quick? My wife is the greatest cook on the planet. She, she makes my favorite fish ever made, Chilean sea bass. She grills each side perfectly, puts it in the oven. She has a little bit of glaze on it, and it goes on the plate, and it literally is like butter in your mouth. It is the greatest uh, piece of fish I've ever had. What was I doing the last eight years of my life? My wife, can I tell you quick? She makes the greatest pasta. Oof! She takes this angel hair pasta, puts a bunch of garlic and herbs in it. Then she adds some red sauce to it. Then a little bit of pork sausage and, and beef, beef, and then three different types of cheeses, and then some Parmesan even on top. And I take a bite of it. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the greatest pasta I've ever had. For eight years, I missed out on it. Eight years. My wife makes the greatest ribeye. Ask anybody who's ever had it. Oh my, she's perfected it during COVID. She literally knows how to... Perfect time, pulls it out. You're like, oh my gosh, that's the greatest piece of simian I've ever had. 
for eight years, I missed out on the greatest. For eight, because I didn't want to try it. For eight years, I missed out on it. Some of you, can I just be honest real quick? It takes something like a COVID-type season for you to try forgiveness for the first time. And then you go, how did I go 40 years without trying this kind of peace and freedom? Some of you, you've never tried purity before. It takes a car wreck for you to try purity. You said, I never knew I could taste this kind of freedom. And what happens is, is you're going to have an invitation sometimes from a season, if I could put it that way. And what's happening in this season, I think there's an invitation from the season for some of you. Man, give God a chance. So that, that's one, one little parallel in my illustration. Can I give you one more? Okay, I'm going to give you one more. Rachel loves travel. She loves Europe. I hate travel. I, to be honest, I don't really even like Europe. I, I don't want to go there. I just, I like America. I told Rachel, there's 50 states. There's a lot to see. I want to go see Mount Rushmore. I want to go see Montana, the big sky. I want to go up to South Dakota, North Dakota. I want to see Dakotas. What's there? I don't know. But I want to, I'm, I'm a patriot. America. I want to see America. And Rachel's like, we got to go see it. And so we'd be watching movies and Rachel Liddy would use these words. Oh, my heart just hurts for England. I just want to go to England, Tyler. And I'd be like, okay, let me pray about it. That's always me being like, we're never going. Um, and then she's like, we'd watch a movie with Paris. She's like, oh, Tyler, if you just, oh, my heart hurts for Paris. And then we'd see someone with Italy, you know, and she'd be like, oh, Tyler, you have no idea. Florence is it's my favorite city in the whole world. I wish you could see it. And I'd be like, I'm good. So for eight years, and she finally like broke down one day, are we ever going to go to Europe? And I was like, well, eventually, I, I promise we'll go within the first 10 years. I remember going, okay, give me, I, I tried to buy myself 10 years, basically. This is like year three of our marriage. A couple years ago, uh, we're sitting around a, uh, like a fire pit. It's me, Rachel, uh, and our friends, Tom and Laura, and Rachel's talking about Europe. And she's just talking, oh, you guys, it's the greatest. Oh, it's just, you, you, you don't know, just walking around the streets, there's just something that comes to life and the food. And, and Tom is the same way, like, I don't want to go to Europe. And we just got like, we kind of like tried to like up one of yourself, like, I don't want to go either. And then I just simply say, like, I'll go if you go, Tom. And Tom's like, well, I'll go if you go. And Rachel's like, is this happening? Are we really going to go to Europe? Well, we eventually actually planned a trip. I don't want to go to Europe by myself. I don't speak um, French. I don't speak Italian. So I wanted to have, you know, power in numbers just in case, you know, something happens in, I don't know if, what happens in Paris if I get robbed, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, so my wife's right here, so I'm giving her a shout out. Uh, so uh, we end up going to Paris. By day two, this is me in Paris. I love Paris. Oh my gosh, I love the food. I'm walking through the streets eating French bread. I'm walking into pastry shops, Americano. I'm like, oh, oh merci, je t'aime, oh, I love you. I was like, I, just, I loved it. I was like, oh my gosh, the, the Eiffel Tower, it's prettier than I thought. We're walking through the Louvre. I was like, oh my gosh, this is beautiful. If you don't believe me, you're like, Tyler, this, there's no way that's how I responded. I actually had Rachel put a clip together real quick of just a little part of our Paris. Check it out. Yes, I was spinning around a square. Yes, I was popping bubbles. Yes, I was having the greatest time of my life in Paris. Rachel's invitation wore me down. Wore me down. And if I could just be honest, I, I don't think it's an accident that the greatest evangelist in this story is John the Baptist. Have you ever noticed evangelists are just a little bit weird? They, like, they, they make people uncomfortable, and they don't care. Have you noticed that? Like, they, they, they're so passionate about where they want to go, they don't care if you don't want to go. You're watching a movie, and you don't want to talk about it, and they're like, in the middle of the movie, Rachel's like, oh, I love Paris. I'm like, I don't care. I don't want to talk about it. But when you are passionate about the invitation, and you've tasted and you saw, you've came and saw, you've got to come and see it with me. You've got to come experience it with me. Please come experience it with me. Eventually, eventually that come and see culture, it gets powerful. Oh, it gets powerful, and people start to come and see the things. John the Baptist was a weird person, if I can just be honest. Like, when you, like, read about his life, like, he was a different cat. But man, he was all about the come and see. He was all about pointing, let me show you the, uh, the king. Let me show you the lamb. 
Some of you Christians, can I just be honest? You gotta get a little more uncomfortable this season. You gotta taste heaven a little bit more and then want people to actually experience heaven. And there's something powerful about the invitation. Man, we gotta be a church that uh, invites. I heard it this way. A church does not evangelize, starts to fossilize. Man, if we become about our preferences that about people, oh, it just gets gross. So come and see culture it has to have passion inviters. I, uh, I wrote this down. There's two quotes I wanna give it to you. Christianity isn't about condemnation. It's about an invitation. The church, if it was better at actually just inviting people than telling people what to do, ooh, what kind of church would we have? Let me say it this way. Christianity isn't about demanding perfection from this world, but inviting this world to come experience it, and his name is Jesus. Man, the church goes out and demands perfection from the world. We're never supposed to go demand. You know, how, how funny is it? The Christian always like, we got to stop the world from being the world. Stop the sinners sinning. So we just go tell them to stop. What, that's not the mission of the church. The mission of the church is, hey, I'd love to invite you. Come experience peace. Come check this out. Man, may we, be, may we be an invitation church, not a condemnation church. Second point, simply this. Uh, a come and see culture is you need people uh, willing to live life with you, live, uh, willing to live life with you. I, uh, I love this moment is Nathaniel does not want to go see Jesus. And what does Philip do? We read this in the beginning. Philip says, let's go check it out together. Let's come investigate it together. I... Uh, uh, I told you I didn't go to Europe unless I had friends go with me. And, and I really picture this uh, about the churches. They show that 97% of people would actually come to church. 97%. I want, I, it's not 100%, but 97% of people would come to church if somebody would just invite them and go with them. What? what, what, what that, that's an unreal stat to me. Okay. Can I tell you, I, I, I think sometimes uh, we think things are overpriced. And here's what I mean by, uh, by this is, being an evangelist or living life with other people, it just seems like such a high price. But there are things that I thought were overpriced until I experienced it, and I realized they were actually priced just right or even they should be even more expensive. There's three things in my life that I thought were too expensive that after I experienced them, that they are, they, they are priced just right. Here's the three things that are what I would say that I thought were too expensive. Three-star Michelin restaurants. Three-star Michelin restaurants, you're paying $300 to $400, maybe even $500 a plate with your drinks for the night. So for Rachel and I, it would be $1,000 to eat at a three-star Michelin restaurant. Now, I would never, ever pay that. You know what somebody said? You got to come see it. You got to come experience it. And so I remember sitting there and being like, man, I can't believe how expensive this is. And I started eating the food. And I was like, they could charge me $1,000 a head. I'm coming back. This is the greatest thing I've ever experienced. Three-star Michelin, if you've never experienced it, it's worth the price. Save your money, still tithe, still give your offering, still budget, still have margins, but save some cash, save some scrap on the side, get a side hustle, and go start a three-star Michelin restaurant. It will change your life, okay? Second thing that I found out that it was worth the money, courtside seats. Courtside seats. I'll never forget the first time I sat courtside. I didn't pay for it. You pay for it? Some of my friends, they, they have a season tickets. I remember sitting there. Rachel and I were like, ah! The whole time, Rachel and I left, I was like, Rachel and I both, we've never done drugs, but Rachel and I get done with the game, we're like, okay, I've never done drugs. Rachel goes, I've never done drugs before. This is literally Rachel's statement. I've never done drugs before, but I think that's what it would feel like if I did drugs, was the courtside feeling the whole time. I was euphoric, Tyler. I couldn't stop myself. I was shaking. I was screaming. I mean, she was having the best time. Courtside seats, man, I'm always trying to look at them now. Now, now the Warriors ones may be a little overpriced, but everywhere else, they're a fair price. Courtside seats, oof, man, they're worth the ticket, but somebody else paid for it. Third thing is first-class tickets. First class tickets. I didn't pay for first class tickets first time I flew first class. 
I'll never forget just getting on a plane and then saying, Mr. Johnson, here's your seat. Would you like a blanket? Would you like a pillow? Would you like a hot towel? Oh, what kind of drink would you like? I'm like, what am I doing? Man, the back you treat, you don't even look at me. I'll be like, ma'am, like, shut up. You know, I'm like, sorry. But in first class, like, oh, Mr. Johnson. I was like, oh my gosh, first class is worth the money. There's something about those three things that I would never experience if somebody didn't pay the price for me to experience them. Somebody was living life with me and they said, come and see this. Come and see this food. Come and see this experience at Courtside. Come and see this first class thing. All three of those things I didn't pay for, but somebody else paid, lived life with me and allowed me to experience something. And once I experienced, I said, this is worth everything you paid for. Can I pay for it now? Can I bring somebody else to experience this also? I, I think of our church as a three-star Michelin restaurant. And before service is what I call the kitchen. If you've ever seen Mission Church at Las Lomas before uh, church started, it is chaos in the kitchen. We're doing sound check. There are ringing in the speakers. There are people showing up at 7 a.m. literally just giving their life away. They're paying a cost to it. And they literally are setting this thing up. But then at 9.15, when everything starts, we we hit the countdown thing. You know, music comes on the screen. People sit down. And then worship starts. And they get to experience this three star Michelin meal that we offer to God. And they get to partake in it. And they don't pay a penny for it. Do you know that Las Lomas cost $20,000 a month when we were meeting there? $20,000 a month. Do you know that we have salaries to pay employees so we can actually build the house and, and other things we have to pay for? All of it costs money. And the only reason we do it is because we have people saying, I want to pay for that person's seat at the three-star Michelin. Can I say something real quick? Mitch Petrak, I love you, bro. I, I'm so thankful for you. I miss seeing you on setup. You're willing to say, every Sunday, pencil me in. I'm set up and I'm tear down. I will set up. I'll be here at 7 a.m. because I want to pay the price so somebody can experience the greatness of God. The people that tithe and give to our church. People always wonder, like, hey, how do, you, how do you have such nice stuff? Oh, your production is so nice. You want to have nice stuff? Because people are willing to pay so you can see it for free. They're willing to say, I want you to have a first-class seat to see the gospel. I'll pay. I'll, I'll give my money. I'll give my resources so somebody can experience it. Come, have a courtside seat. Oh, I, I think of all the people serving in kids' ministry. There's too many to list. But to all the diehards in kids' ministry, oh, You're simply saying this, let me watch your kids so you can go experience the greatest thing. That's why I love our church. You're not going to have a great church if you don't have people willing to live life with people and live life for people. This is a come and see culture. Come and see comes with a great cost. Oh, but if we could be a church that wants to pay the cost, say goodnight. Say goodnight. Last but not least, a great culture is simply this. If you're going to invite people, so now we got all the passionate Christians. Uh, right now, I know you're home. You're like, oof, who am I going to invite? Who am I going to send this link to? Who am I going to start sending all these sermons to? That's, I, that's what I picture you right now doing at home. I'm just going to let you know. I picture you getting really fired up going, oh, I'm about to invite everybody. I picture you being like John the Baptist. You're going to put on this weird uh, robe, and you're going to start eating honey all the time and tell people about Jesus. So now that you're fired up to invite people, oh, your heart longs for people to get to heaven. I believe that's happening right now. And not only that, I believe that you're also saying, yeah, I want to pay the cost. I want to start sowing in the house financially. I want to start serving more. I want to start giving. So now if you have those two things, they're going to mean nothing if people don't come actually to heaven, if they don't actually come to the house and experience heaven. The third thing you need to come see culture is simply this, is you need to have a place where people experience heaven on earth. Do you know the first thing that we were supposed to pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So it gives reverence to the one. And what does he say we're supposed to pray for? May your kingdom come, may your will be done as it is in heaven. That should be the prayer of the house. 
Oh, Lord, today, when, this Sunday, may people experience heaven on earth, reconciliation, restoration, healing, peace. There is full peace in heaven. We should have full peace on earth. That's our inheritance. Now, I want to go back to a part in this, and this is really is heaven on earth. This, this, I would say this is one of the greatest moments of heaven on earth for church. So you see this moment. Nathaniel's talking trash about Jesus, and Jesus comes up and says this to him. Let's, let's read it real quick. As the approached, Jesus said, Now, here's a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. What an interesting line to say to a man who does not have complete integrity, that is not a true son of Israel. He doesn't even want to, didn't even say Jesus is his father, hasn't been adopted yet. Do you know that the first person that was the true son of Israel, that was called Israel, was a man named Jacob. And he was a man of no integrity. And he was a broken man. He had a rock for a pillow. And really what the church is, if I could just be honest, it is this moment where a bunch of Jacobs come and they are manipulators, they are broke spiritually, they're broke emotionally, they, they have a bad skeptical attitude even towards Jesus. And what, what we do at the house and what we see at the house is they see other Jacobs that became Israel. Because what Israel is, is Israel is our inheritance. It's becoming a person of complete integrity with no fault, a true son of Israel. Can I read you a verse real quick of what, what we're supposed to be? No, you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Here's what Jesus is saying at this very end. He goes, oh, you're impressed with me just saying you're under fig tree? Oh, you're going to say greater things. It's called the church. Nathaniel, you're going to see great. You're going to see a bunch of Jacobs become Israel. You're going to see a lot of slaves become heirs to the throne. You're going to see a lot of broken people get restored. You think it's cool that I could see you under a tree? Wait till you see heaven on earth, and it's called my church. It's going to defeat the gates of hell. Can I tell you something real quick about Jacob? And there's a lot of Jacobs watching right now. Jacob had a, a father-in-law named Laban, and he was his slave master. Well, no, he was his father. He was giving him stuff. He was, he was paying him for his work. Isn't that a fair transaction? No, it was all conditional. He was controlling him, manipulating him. And so Jacob, for 20, I think it's 10 or 20 years, works for Laban as a slave, but doesn't even know he's a slave. He's literally being manipulated by this man until he has this light bulb moment. I'm a slave. I don't even have my own life. I don't have any land. I don't have anything. Like, this guy is controlling and owning me. I'm a slave. I got to leave. And so he just leaves. I'm out of here. But he has nowhere to go. And this is what happens with Jacob. God encounters him and gives him a new name. Hey, here's a true son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. Your new name is Israel. Can I just tell you real quick, some of you, you have a Laban in your life. Laban is controlling you, and you, th you think you're free. You think, you're, you think it's conditional. You think sin is somebody who's just around you. No, it wants to control you and subdue you and be your slave master. You think money is your friend. Money wants to control you. It's your Laban. You think pleasure is your friend. Pleasure is your Laban. It is controlling you. And here's what I love about heaven on earth. This is what people get to say yes to. I'm saying goodbye to greed, goodbye to lust, and I'm saying yes to heaven. It's called the church. You're saying, I used to be owned by that, but now I have a new master. I have a new king. I have a new father and his name is Jesus. Come and see. Come and see. Can I pray for you real quick, Mission Church? Oh, may we be, may we be thankful that the Lamb of God came and died on a cross so we could be Israel. That we get to be adopted sons and daughters and say yes to our, our inheritance. It's an amazing thing. Bow our heads with me. God, I thank you for everybody at home watching. I pray for the one right now that wants to say goodbye to just 
the brokenness of this life, being hurt by parents, being hurt by friends, all these things and say, man, where do I find my restoration? You find it in Jesus. And so I love about the church. The church is kind of like the John the Baptist. We're the voice shouting in the wilderness. We're the one pointing to Jesus. We're not, the church must decrease and he must increase. So God, I pray right now for every single person watching at home that wants to say yes to you, that they would have the courage to right now type in the YouTube chat, I said yes. Go ahead and say I said yes. If you're with somebody, tell them I said yes to Jesus today. Because here's what you're doing. You're confessing with your mouth. You're believing your heart that Jesus died on a cross so you will be saved. And the best thing to do is to tell somebody. Oh, tell somebody, I, I want to say yes to heaven, no to hell. I want to say yes to this salvation thing. I don't even really know what it means, but I want to come and see it. I want to come check it out. I want to come to get to know my Savior. And also on our website, you can say yes. Mr. Church, I love you. Hope you enjoyed this one. We're going to see you next week. God bless. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.